So just carrying on from Pastor Tark, uh, when he spoke about encouragement, I thought I'd just broaden that out and talk about the power of words, because words really frame your world. So this morning, if I said, um, ushers, if, if you'd like to just grab Diana and her Sri Lankan cricket supporting family and throw them out, Um, hopefully Diana <laughs> would know how much I love her and how, what fantastic supporters they are and how um, we have a great, great banter between us during the cricket season and she throws back at me everything that I can give. And so the words are interpreted in the light of our knowledge of each other's hearts. Uh, that is so important, how you give and how you receive. Words. So I want to start off this morning um, by having a look at a quick video. Words shape our world. You know, the um, average New Zealander will have about 30 conversations a day and people speak between 2,000 and 20,000 words. And contrary to popular myth, there's no difference between the number of words that a male speaks compared to a female. All right, just to, just to let you know that, all right, just to let you know. <laughs> a, a lot of what we uh, say uh, may seem trivial and unimportant, but uh, words have incredible power because they aren't empty, but as Joyce Myers has pointed out, they are containers uh, for the Spirit. And God's Word is creatively powerful. Uh, most of us know that God's word is powerful. It's, it's creative. God spoke the word and the heavens and the earth were created. Romans 4.17 says, God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Uh, when Jesus spoke, things happened. He calmed the waters, spoke to demons, dead were raised healed the sick simply by speaking the word. And when God speaks, he speaks words that create. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God. The first recorded use of words um, were words used to create something visible from the invisible. Uh, Jesus did exactly this when he blessed the loaves and the fishes. And multiplied those. He spoke creatively into them and released a creative miracle into the earth. Uh, when God speaks, he speaks words that impart life. Uh, Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. See, words are containers for the spirit. When words are spoken, their spirit content is felt. It creates an impression. God uses words to nurture the spirit of people and to impart supernatural life into situations and circumstances. And he did this when he spoke to the man with the withered hand in Mark chapter 3 and when he spoke to dis discouraged disciples in Luke chapter 4. Uh, words that Jesus speaks are recorded as being with spiritual authority. Luke 4.36 
What a word is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Jesus spoke with authority. There was a weight force behind his words. And Jesus' words released spiritual powers that demons obeyed. Jesus spoke words to trees, to storms, to sickness, to demons, to dead men. His words carried a spiritual substance that altered the world around him. He spoke words that he heard from his father with faith that they would make a difference. And we are called to imitate God. Jesus talking said in John 14, verse 12, He that believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. I want to get a hold of that. The works that I do, he will do also. Now, what many people don't realize is that our words are creatively powerful also. It's one thing for us to believe that God's words are creative and powerful, but it's quite another thing for us to get into our spirits that our words are creatively powerful also. Because we are created in God's image and have been made to utter words that are powerful too. So if Jesus could say, the words I have spoken are spirit and they are life, then in the same way, also, our words are also spirit, and they can produce life. God tells us that our destiny is controlled by our mouths. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, your mouth is going to determine your destiny. (laughs) Don't say you've got a big mouth. (laughs) And... In Numbers chapter 14, uh, when the children of Israel were complaining about going into the promised land because they thought it was a land of giants and and they would be better off in the wilderness and why they come out of Egypt and all this sort of stuff, uh, God speaks to them in Numbers 14, 28, and he says to them, so he's talking to Moses and he says, So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Think about it. (laughs) What have you been saying over the last week? What have you been saying over the last month? Because in this situation, God says, I'm going to do to them exactly what they said. Uh, Romans 10 verse 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Isn't that interesting? It's a heart and a mouth. 
the heart and the mouth. There's a confession there. And Matthew 17, verse 19, says the disciples came to Jesus in private and said, why couldn't we drive it out? He was talking about um, a, a young boy uh, who was having epileptic fits. And uh, Jesus said, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And again, in Matthew 21, verse 21, Jesus replied, Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, uh, Jesus had just spoken to the fig tree and it had withered, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself to the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So there's incredible power in words. Our words are powerful when they're linked to the Holy Spirit, uh, when they're linked to faith, when they agree, especially with God's word, amazing things, amazing things can happen. How, how many people here have ever um, prayed for someone with, a um, demonic possession and seeing seen the um, demons go. Put your hand up. Yeah, heaps. Basically, speaking the word, demons hearing the word, and they're out of here. So, words are also incredibly powerful when they're used by the enemy. Okay? The words we agree with in our heart and speak with our mouths shape our present and determine our future. Uh, words are like living seeds that produce fruit when spoken and contract either the Holy Spirit or demonic spirits or can be inspired by either Holy Spirit or demonic spirits. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat of its fruit. So right from the very beginning, right from the Garden of Eden, Satan has been battling for our imitation and our agreement. So Satan got Eve to agree and confess his words, and that led to death. And that battle didn't just stop back there. But Satan wants us to pick up and confess his words, which result in death, rather than Jesus' words, which result in life. So when Satan controls our speech, no wonder the words in the Bible are described as cancer or gangrene, uh, rust, deadly poison, snake venom, fire, arrows, wounds. These are all descriptions of words uh, that are aligned with Satan's heart rather than Jesus. But when we agree with and confess and proclaim the word of God, it leads to life. So God wants us not only to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, but he wants us to be transformed and be transformation agents in our agreement and in our confession, in the things that we say. God wants us to imitate him, but he has to redeem our words. I don't think it's any coincidence that when the Holy Spirit was given out on the day of Pentecost, it manifests as tongues of fire. 
And the very first evidence of baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, was a new tongue, a new language. And that's what God wants for us all, a Holy Spirit-inspired, world-changing language. And we have a choice as to where we align our words and the spirit and the impact that our words have. Have any of you ever had foot-and-mouth disease besides me? Yeah, yeah. It's something that we're walking on, isn't it? Uh, Negative words pull down and destroy. Okay, Proverbs 12, verse 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Isn't that amazing? Just, if, if I could dial myself down to slow speed so that it all sinks in. <laughs> what I would suggest you do is to read these scriptures again. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. But a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. It was interesting, those of you who came on Friday night to the parenting evening, and that was fantastic. That was absolutely brilliant. John Cowan would be one of the better speakers I'd have ever heard on any subject. Uh, but one of the stats that he brought out is that 70%, 75% of time, kids respond better to positive affirmation and encouragement rather than negative discipline. So if you want someone to do something, if you want someone to do something, don't bash them over the head with a bit of four by two with your mouth. Encourage them. Praise them. Thank them. Help them through things. So if you want God to bless and the Holy Spirit to anoint your life, watch your words. And this is something which we have to train ourselves in. Naturally, naturally, we don't speak Positively, unless you're my wife, who is perfect. <laughs> She's great. But the reality, the rest of us mortals have to learn, <laughs> have to learn to tame our tongue. We have to learn to align our, our speaking with the Holy Spirit. We, learn, we have to learn to imitate God and his word rather than the fiery darts of the enemy. Uh, the mouth is just the overflow of the heart. So when we do get into problems with our mouth, examine your heart because that's where it's going to come, that's where it's going to come from. Um, I've told you before about my Year three teacher, Mr. Glegg, uh, Mr. Clegg, telling me that his three-year-old could spell and write better than me. Uh, those, those words uh, really uh, crushed my spirit. And up until that time, I was really, really trying hard in his class. Uh, I believed what he said about me, that I was hopeless. And he had no idea that I had a sieve memory. He just thought that I wasn't trying. So what would happen is when we were coming up to spelling tests and everything else, I'd take the list home, I would learn it, I'd get my mum 
to take me through it and we'd work at it and eventually I'd get it 100% right. Wake up the next morning, go to school and it's all gone. And uh, people are like that. Uh, I had a good brain for maths and I had a good brain for science uh, and because I, I was really intrigued with that sort of stuff. But for spelling, ah, I was just absolutely hope, hopeless. Thank goodness for spell checkers on my computer. Because today, you know, it's still hard. And, and I have to consciously work through uh, when I'm meeting new people to repeat their names so that I will remember their names. So I have to say Carol, Carol and John, Carol, Carol, uh, and, and just get it in. Otherwise, it won't stick there. But it's interesting. People will say that when you hear something and it's burnt in with an emotion, it's more likely to stay. So I can remember things like deoxyribose nucleic acid, but I can't even remember my neighbor's name. So different people have to work at these things in different, different ways. But the, the reality is, in that situation, I was damaged by the words that came through. And I think many of us have received words that have really hurt us. And parents, you know, you get home tired and the kids are acting up. And sometimes you say things that you, that you shouldn't have said. You need to go back and apologize you need to go back and smooth things over you need to go back and make sure that your kids know that you love them even when they do stuff that's wrong and separate the dis discipline from the love okay uh, proverbs 18 verse 14 the human spirit can endure in sickness but a crushed spirit who can bear damaging words They've got to be dealt with. Damaging words can come in your thought life as well because they're sown by the enemy. So how do you deal with them? It's, it's one thing to know all this stuff, but in a practical sense, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? How, how do you deal with, with rubbish words that come in? Uh, how you respond to negative words that are said against you is going to determine the course of your life. If you receive the words and agree with them, oh, I'm of no value. Uh, oh, I can never do anything right. Uh, oh, I'm useless. If you receive those words, they will wound your spirit. They will impart shame. There'll be a loss of value and esteem. They will destroy initiative and excellence. They will remove you from God's positioning and shut down your gifts. That's how powerful words are. They will impact your life. So for a start, you need to know what God says about you. What does he say? He says something like, you're the head, not the tail. You're dearly loved. He says, I love you so much that I've given my only son so that if you believe in him, you'd have everlasting life. God says a whole pile of things about us that we need to read and we need to speak and we need to confess so that it will build us up. All right? 
once a person agrees with negative words, they come into agreement, actually, with the demonic influences behind them. So we have to reject damaging words. I wonder, it'd be just really interesting, how many people have ever been driving along the street after a bad week at work, and the thought had popped into your mind, why don't you just drive into that lamppost? Has anyone ever had that? Put your hand up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? You did it without even thinking about it. <laughs> Yeah. Where did that come from? Most often, those thoughts would have just come out of the blue. You're just driving along, and you have the thought, hey, why don't I just drive into that lamppost? So what do you need to do? You don't dwell on it. You don't think about it. You recognize where it's coming from, and you need to reject it. You need to uh, repent of any previous agreement that you've, that you've had with negative words. Forgive those who have cursed you. Reject the false words. Meditate on God's word and start believing and saying what God says about you. Saying it, confessing it is so really important. Our minds can only dwell on one thing at a time. So when we speak God's word out loud, when we confess his truth, that's what we think about. If we're thinking one thing and we start to confess God's word, we'll start thinking about the confession that we're being made. So it's really, really important when you get into those negative thinking situations that you start to confess the truth, confess it out loud. It's what we think on, what we confess is what we will think on and it will replace the negative in our heart and mind with the positive, powerful word of God. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says this, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons that we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay, We demolish arguments, we demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So taking captive every thought is really, really, really important. And it starts by recognizing where that thought has come from. Okay, when I was um, in my early years in the, in the dairy company, I used to drive a lot over the Haraki Plains. So I'd be driving for hours, and I'd be just driving along, uh, not thinking about too much, and then suddenly, um, at, in, during one period of time, uh, a whole pile of uh, pornographic thoughts would just come into my mind. And to start off, I thought, oh, flip, where did that come from? Then when I realized, hey, this wasn't something that I've been dwelling on, this is just something that's come in. When they happened the next time, I started speaking in tongues. I just started praying. I just started praising God. And guess what? They went. There is power when you start confessing the word of God and it'll break chains of bondage and it'll set you free. And you'll start aligning your thinking with God's word when you start confessing it. And actually, that principle helps also. 
<clears throat> I play golf on a, um, usually on a Monday, and I play with a whole pile of guys that are, um, that are not Christians. And quite often, <clears throat> more often than not, uh, when they do a bad shot, they'll be swearing or they'll be blaspheming. Now, most of the guys who have got to know me don't blaspheme when I'm, uh, when I'm playing with them because they know that the one that they're talking about is the one that I really love. However, sometimes they let it slip. So after considering what I should do about those situations, I thought, well, the first thing I'm going to do is every time they start to blaspheme, I'm going to start praising God. And so that's what I started doing. And it's amazing how the blaspheming stopped. Why? Because it's a spiritual thing. You know, when people hit their thumb with a hammer, they don't say, oh, Buddha. They don't say, oh, Muhammad. You know, they don't say those things because the enemy knows that the most precious name is the name of Jesus. And he also knows that in the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. And so his, the enemy's heart is to try and make the name of Jesus the most common, the most um, non-important name that he can. But we can change that around. And every time the enemy tries to do something like that, start praising, start worshipping God, and he'll shut it down real quick, real quick. Minimize exposure to people who constantly bombard you with ungodly, negative, personal words. Establish supportive relationships. You know, there'll be some people that you'll deal with that will just pull you down the whole time they're draining you, you spend you go out for coffee with them and they're just oh, just, uh, uh. sometimes you need to be in those relationships so that you can build them up okay but you need to balance out the number of supportive relationships you've got with the number of ones that will really pull you down so look for people who are encourage you look for people who will build you up okay just as i remember those negative words from that year three teacher I also remember some really, really positive words that I had over the years. And as a a lover of sport, um, one of the most positive situations, and I can still picture it, I can still picture the Blockhouse Bay sports field at night, missed. I was invited to train with the Blockhouse Bay senior team. I was in year 12 at that stage. And uh, that team was the number one team in New Zealand. They'd, run the Ch- they'd won the Chatham Cup and they'd won the National League at the time. Uh, they were my heroes. Uh, four of the guys that I was training with were New Zealand uh, players. And after the fitness work, we split up into two teams for a soccer match. Uh, no offsides, half the field, sticks and goals. Uh, you guys would, um, would know what that's like. So the... New Zealand representative goalkeeper, he was in one goal, and little me was in the other goal. Uh, opposing me in the team was Ian Ormond, he was, the, he was the right wing for New Zealand, and Colin Shaw, who was the centre forward for New Zealand. Right? You've got to picture this. I'm a, I'm a kid. All right? uh, I was really, really, really nervous. But that, all that disappeared in one, one play. At one stage, Colin Shaw had his back to me, 
and they played the ball forward to him, and I dived through his legs and grabbed the ball. He fell over, and uh, when he picked himself up, he looked at me, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, great save, son. If you can do that in a match, you'll be a hero. You know, that changed the way that I looked at myself thereafter. And I thought, I can do that. I can do that. I ended up getting in rep teams. And, but that moment, that moment, and it was just a little thing. I guarantee he would never have remembered that six weeks later. But for me, wow, that was just burnt into my psyche. And you have no ideas what words of encouragement will do to kids. So much of the generation growing up today are fatherless. They don't have role models. They don't have people that can encourage them. And yet we have been given the spirit of truth within us and we can speak into these situations and we can encourage these kids and we can change the course of their destiny. It just takes a few words of encouragement for these kids to change the way they think about themselves. My dad was a great encourager, always believing in me, always showing me that he loved me. And there was never a time, even when he was disciplining, that I thought in any way that he didn't love me. And growing up in a loving environment changes the way that you view life. And that loving is expressed through the way we talk to our kids as well as the things that we do with them. Proverbs 12 verse 14 says, From the fruit of his lips a man is filled with good things, as surely as the work of his hands reward him. Isn't that amazing? That we see the tangible... We see the work of our hands, but what God is saying in that situation is the fruit of our lips is just as tangible, is just as important as the work of our hands. Because we see in the natural, God sees in the spiritual. We can speak life or death. We can speak blessing or cursing. We can speak love or hate. We can speak bitterness or forgiveness. In your workplace, frame the atmosphere with your words. In your leisure, Mondays, I want to be the most encouraging person on the golf course. I want people to want to play with me because I'm so encouraging. They'll have a great time. In your home, think about how you speak to your kids because they believe what you say and therefore it has the power to change their lives. We can speak prophetically into situations using the word of God to bring about change. We are called to imitate our heavenly father, to speak and act like him, to represent him. And God fully stands behind the words that he speaks. That's why you'll see in the Old Testament that God changed people's names. For instance, when he told Abraham that he was going to be a father of nations, he changed his name to Abraham, which means father of nations. So that every time... Someone spoke Abraham's name, it would reinforce the prophetic destiny that Abraham had and that he would begin to believe it. We are designed to use words to create, impart life, release spirit, power, and authority. And our words impact our world. So, 
What kind of world are you creating with your words? What kind of marriage are you creating with your words? What kind of self-image are you creating with your words? Are you, are you facing difficulties? Use God's words because they produce life. What are you calling your situation that you're in at the moment? Are you calling it unfair? Are you calling yourself victim? Or are you calling it a test of my character? What name are you giving to the situation and the season that you're in right now? One of the keys of breaking through in this is to think about your situation, to define your situation, to limit the, the uh, impact of your situation by choosing to describe your situation in words that are uplifting, that will build up rather than pull down. Let me give you an example. Right at the very beginning in Genesis, it says that God called the darkness night. Okay? So what's darkness? It's black. It's never ending. What did God call it? Night. Specific. Light comes in the morning. Dawn comes in the morning. Are you in barrenness? Call it winter. Because after winter comes spring. It's not saying lie about your situation. But what he's saying is define your situation in words that will bring you hope. Words that will lead you into the plans and the purposes of God. Because Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So the situation in, that you find yourself in, whether it's the result of mistakes that you have made, whether it's the result of mistakes that other people have made, whether it's the result of just living in a world that's falling apart, which we all are, Whatever the reason for the situation, the circumstance that you find yourself in, the reality is that God can use that and he can turn it for good. He can turn it to change your heart. He can turn it to mold you and make you possible for the next stage in your life. No situation is untouched or unaffected by the power and the purpose of God. So you need to take the power of your words. You need to name your burden blessing. You need to name your prison promotion. You need to name your crisis character and declare that God will turn it for good. In Genesis, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave in Egypt, falsely accused of rape, languished in a prison he didn't deserve to be in, but he kept on trusting God. It is amazing how that guy kept himself, first of all, trusting God and not becoming bitter in his spirit as a result of all of the wrong, bad, ugly stuff that was done to him. Because of that, Joseph was able to be promoted from prison to the palace. And how did Joseph describe his situation later? He didn't describe himself as a victim. Amazingly, he called his situation the hand of the Lord to take him to his destiny. And in retrospect, he became a great leader because of what was in his heart. 
and the way he was able to then describe his situation. Jesus is the one that we're supposed to be imitating. He called his cross joy. He called his suffering salvation. He called the whip the will of God. He called his flogging and his wounds our healing. He called his pain our peace. Jesus called his crucifixion, his public humiliation, his rejection, his darkness, the salvation of the world. Wow. I'm not there yet. (laughs) And I doubt whether anyone here is in that situation or circumstances. But what I want to challenge you to do is to really be aware of the power of your words. And I want to challenge you to start and think about the situations and the circumstances that you're facing. And I want you to ask God for, um, for his seed thoughts that will enable you to, to describe your situation in a way that will help you have hope, and help you move through it. Okay? So how are you going to use your words to shape your world? Let's have the musicians, please. As you train your tongue to speak God's words, you'll start to begin to live deliberately and significantly. As you choose to see God's hand and his purpose in every season of challenge, you'll be filled with hope that anchors your soul and lights the way to your destiny. Every season has a reason for it. We hate winter, but without winter, there's never going to be a spring. I was talking to someone the other day and saying, hey, we need some decent frosts out here. And they said, frosts? What do we need some frosts for? I said, because I want to kill all the wasps and all the bugs that are lying in that first, um, first few inches of my soil. The reality is, winter prepares us for spring and fruitfulness. And you might be going through a winter period in your life, but if you can give that situation to the Lord, and if you can begin to see that God can use it for your good, you will begin to recognize that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Jesus said in the Psalms, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And every step that we take with Jesus at our side is a step that moves us closer to our destiny and his plans and his purposes for our situation and circumstance. And as we saw in that opening clip, even the world knows that Changing our words will change our world. So what about it? Start speaking the word of God under situations and circumstances and see what God will do. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I'm just going to ask the ministry team just to come and stand on the front and the first thing I want to do is I just want to pray for people who have been hurt by people's words when I talk about barbs when I talk about arrows when I talk about pain caused by words you're saying yeah that's me 
I want to pray for you this morning. And I want to pray that this would be the end to the pain in your situation circumstance. That today you'll be able to draw a line under that situation, under that circumstance. And you will be able to be set free from the ongoing impact of those words in your life. If that's you this morning, I want you just to come up, stand on the front, tell the people. You don't have to tell them the words. You don't have to tell them the people that are involved. But you just say, hey, I need to be set free from negative words that have been spoken into my life. Okay? That's the first thing I want to do. Secondly, if, if you're one who constantly has foot and mouth disease, I, I, I can identify with that. And I want to pray that with God's help, you will be able to train yourself to speak words of life, speak words of encouragement, speak words that will build up rather than pull down.